What are you going to do, Commissioner? There's only one thing we can do. Sir, it's the bat film. Yes, Commissioner. Batman. We'll be right there. Biff, bam, pal. This is Batman Land. Careful, maybe a trap. Each week we chat about the 1966 Batman TV show. We're Batman and Robin, a crime fighter. We discuss the episodes that air this week on SBS Viceland. My name is Dan Barrett, and I'm joined here this week by my never chilly co-host, Fiona Williams. Fiona, how are you doing? Very well, thanks. It's a very warm introduction. Yes. Uh, we're also joined here in the Batman Land studio by a returning Batman Land guest. We've got the cool as ice, Ben Newen. Ice to see you. Oh, no. I, I have to say that uh, when I did get the, the call up to uh, come join you again, my heart thawed a little. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I'm regretting this entirely now. <laughs> Especially as no one knows what we're talking about yet. <laughs> no, exactly. Uh, we are dealing with two episodes based on, yes. I think, maybe everyone's favourite villain, Mr. Freeze. Wyatt! Like, really, has there ever been a bad depiction of Mr. Freeze in any movies or TV shows? Yes, yes, there certainly have. <laughs> and we've got one of them Which here this week. brings us to today's episode. <laughs> Very much so. We've got two episodes. It's Green Ice and Deep Freeze. They aired originally on the 9th and the 10th of November, 1966. Guys, these are some wild episodes. <laughs> Fiona, look, I watched the episodes... I'm somewhat struggling right now to know exactly what happened. Please run us through it. I'd love to. All right. So, apparently Gotham City is in the grip of a heatwave. 96 in the shade and the temperature's still rising. And the extreme temperatures, paradoxically, draw out an icy old foe of Batman's, Mr. Freeze. Get the operation going. Sporting a collar that keeps his body temperatures below frozen, Mr. Freeze and his henchmen, Chill and Shiver, kidnap a beauty queen, Ms. Iceland, Get it? That'll cool you up a little. And had to plan to freeze her body temperature to below 50 degrees in order to make her fall in love with him. Loving you? Never! For reasons that are never quite fully explained. Meanwhile, Mr. Freeze lays a trap to ruin Batman and Robin's reputation by using dodgy doppelgangers. Do my eyes deceive me or is this the dynamic duo? And the real pet crusaders end up on Frosty Freeze snow cones. But pineapple, Frosty Freezy! And a small boy loses respect for his heroes. But all's well that ends well, and our heroes re-emerge to salvage their reputations and foil Mr. Freeze's $1 billion plot to stick the entire population of Gotham City in the deep freeze. Sorry, Fiona, what was that dollar figure? $1 billion. $1 billion. $1 billion. $1 billion. Guys, I don't know if I'm the ignorant one in the room or not, but I'll admit I don't know a lot of stuff about Iceland. I knew that basic thing, which is Iceland is green, Greenland is actually icy. But also I began to think, is that actually really true? Because surely Batman wouldn't lead me astray. I mean, it's so accurate on every other front, I can't imagine how it could steer me wrong. So I got onto the Googles, I did some research, and I will confirm that yes, Iceland is in fact not that icy. Despite the proximity to the Arctic, the island's coasts remain ice-free throughout the winter. And ice incursions are rare, the last having occurred on the north coast in 1969. Are you criticising Mr Freeze's research? Look, I'm suspecting that for a man of whom surrounds himself so heavily by ice, I expect a little bit more. Well, I would also question the Googling efforts of the Batman writers here, not only because Google wasn't around then, but the <laughs> Miss Galaxy Quest. The um, computer let them down. Sure, sure did. We've got contestants in the Miss Galaxy Quest, Miss Iceland, as we've discussed, Miss Gotham City, Miss Canary Islands, Miss Corsica, and Miss Barrier Reef is an unusual inclusion. <laughs> I in did, did pick up on this. I, I think that this uh, must be a regional beauty contest. Is it, that's, that's where my mind went. 
What region? Just just any region. Okay. Well, this is, it is a mix of... And Gotham cultural- City. <laughs> Which is a region. <laughs> But maybe it's not. So it's a mixture of country, cities, and natural wonders. Uh-huh. And I'm wondering if maybe Gotham City, we've always assumed, is the capital of a miscellaneous state somewhere within the United States. Maybe it's like a state in its own right. Could be. Must I mean, be. We don't know. I mean, it's a great city. Yeah. I, I'll go with that one. Yeah. What you said. <laughs> uh, just for a bit of trivia as well, if you want to know weather issues in Iceland this week, <laughs> Reykjavik, uh, it was negative one degree today as we record this. Well, so, okay, that is that is below freezing. It is below freezing, so but I, apparently not out. icy. Right. I know, okay. I was very confused. I think, let's face it, um, Mr. Freeze, he's a guy who likes <laughs> likes a pun. So I think that that's the basis of which he's stolen his potential bride. But can I ask, why are there so many beauty pageants on Batman? Mm-hmm. So this was a kid's show. Like, So for one thing, um, all the women are in their swimsuit round. So, you know, I think you just answered yeah. the question why there's so many on the show. Yeah, okay, okay. So, so, the, uh, so it's an excuse to get women in skimpy clothing. But, mm. but who are they trying to appeal to? Well, because it's a family show, so the kids come for the action heroics. The dads come for the sleazy beauty pageants. Right. And the mums? Uh, the mums are clearly not being catered for by this program. Mm. They're making dinner at the time, <laughs> <laughs> apparently. Uh, but I will point you to the end of the two episodes where in his adolescent wisdom, Robin says beauty contests are practically an American institution. Mm. Mm. Were, there, were there more beauty pageants back uh, in the 60s? Probably. I don't know, but think about it as an American institution. Like the current sitting president oh. of the United States is a beauty pageant guy. Yeah, I was trying not You're to. You're a go bit later there. than I thought, actually. I thought you'd bring that up first off the bat. <laughs> Look, I was trying to hold off on that for as mm. long as possible. And, you know, the floods, the gates, they have to open at some point. We're probably maybe missing the elephant in a room that I'm sure we all want to discuss here uh, Miss Canary Islands. Mm. Now, we all noticed Miss Canary Islands? I must say my attention was focused on Miss Barrier Reef. <laughs> okay, well, Miss Canary Islands, played by one Julie Gregg, best known as Sandra Corleone from the Godfather movies. Oh. Uncredited appearance. Get out of town. Mm. Uh, so she could have got in on the crime, perhaps. Maybe that's another episode. Maybe. Yeah, if only it was a three-parter. I'm good with two. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, now, there's a few interesting things. Um, I noticed that when Mr. Freeze rocked up at Commissioner Gordon's office, busted out the things, started freezing up the room, O'Hara, and I just want to question you guys, like none of us are law enforcement officials. I would have presumed that one of the things you do when a, mar- well, he's not really masked, he's a uh, costume clad villain, rocks up and starts trying to freeze you, you don't run for the phone, you try to get out the door. Like, this is a moment where you're both in significant peril. He hesitated. I know. He went back to call the bat phone. Well, he went to the phone first. Mm. And was it the bat phone he called initially? I think he was calling a different phone, just calling for help. And then he ended up leaving to get out the door. It was Commissioner Gordon that was on the bat phone calling Mm. Batman to Alfred, who answered it, who very casually walked out of the rooms to try to get Bruce and Dick. Naturalism. It seemed like Alfred is not in a rush to do very much in that stately Wayne manner. However, O'Hara, a trained trained, in quotation marks, a police officer, I would have thought would be maybe a bit more, you know, smart to get out that door. Following that thread, when Batman and Robin do show up, there's policemen outside the door who hadn't bothered to go in. They just assumed that uh, the commish was kaput. (laughs) And why did O'Hara not pull a gun? I I have a new um, theory about Chief O'Hara. Yeah, what have you got? So uh, I know that this podcast has had uh, various thoughts about 
what his role is, whether he's just a, a kind of like a bumbling fool who they, they merely tolerate. Well, my long-running assumption is that he is someone who's been kicked off the force, Gordon feels sorry for him and allows him to keep coming into work, which is why you never actually see him doing policing out in the world. But rather, he's just there in costume, so he's got an excuse for his wife and just feels better about himself. So I call this my... Chief O'Hara, Tyler Durden theory. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, we do know that Batman loves that theme of duality. Now, um, uh, Two-Face is a villain who does not appear in the 60s Batman series. Mm. And, and he, again, is sort of one of these um, key characters within the Batman world that represents this duality, and Batman himself, of course, does. Because yeah, so, of the masks and the not masks. Yeah, that, like yeah, 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 yeah. So, so we know it's big, okay? So I'm laying the groundwork here. Yeah. So is there anything that Chief O'Hara ever does that could not be attributed to to Commissioner Gordon. So what I'm laying out here is most of the time Chief O'Hara is there as a bit of a sounding board for Commissioner Gordon. Could that not be that Chief O'Hara is actually just sort of merely um, part of Commissioner Gordon's own consciousness, a kind of projection that represents his own inadequacies? Look, I really like where you've gone with this. I would hesitate and buy into your theory entirely because we've seen there was the episode with the bookworm where Commissioner Gordon was shot on a bridge and fell into the water. But Commissioner, uh, sorry, Chief O'Hara was an active member of the police force in trying to bring down the assassins. So I think there is definitely times we've seen both of them operating independently enough from each other with the other ones still having enough agency to impact upon their storyline. All right. Well, we've seen that, but... Were we in Commissioner's... Look, I'm not prepared to rule out that O'Hara isn't somebody else's duality, though. I mean, I'd love to read the thesis on this, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, cancel all of the podcasts. We're focusing on this from here on through. (laughs) Back to your typewriters to pick out more of your slanted stories. Uh, Batman and Robin. So my contention was that O'Hara should have just hightailed it out of the office. When Batman and Robin turn up to the office, which I must say they did in very quick time, Okay, so kudos to them, although I do wonder about the speed limits they broke on the way into Gotham PD. When they run in there, Batman and Robin, they just try to resuscitate both Gordon and O'Hara lying on the ground. Surely you drag them out of the room somewhere a bit warmer. I'm no doctor. Mm. First response, I don't know. They did what they could. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's different responses. There seems, you know, there's a lot of people getting frozen in various ways in this episode, and um, I'm not sure that there's a consistent antifreeze approach. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> Broadly speaking, there's no yeah. consistency. My favourite was the policeman who was shot with a freeze ray and then got this kind of green outline yes. around him, and you never saw him again. Well, I think he may just be a frozen statue still... within the Wayne Manor Garden. Correct. Um, and this is the Mr. Freeze's second showing. Mm. Um, but uh, last time, there were a lot more effects in that episode. If you remember, it was a very uh, a bit like that was a hint to it with the uh, little neon outline, the little neon silhouette. But yeah, they, they held back on the effects this time, I think. There was a bit more kind of a glad wrappy ice practical effects. Yeah. Uh, now, you did say this is the second time we've seen him. Second actor to play Mr. Freeze. Correct. First time through, it was George Sanders playing the role. Uh, he had, I believe, some sort of health issue which stopped him from being able to play the role any further. And the plan was... He had a re- cold. Uh, I see what you did there. Anyone? <laughs> very clever. Thanks. Must be a very clever woman. Don't you think so, boys? Fiona's my boss. 
Don't you forget it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But we had George Sanders there. Otto Preminger took over for this role. And Mm. the intended outcome of this was supposed to be he'd play him in these episodes, keep on playing the character going forward. Not the case, because Otto Preminger rocks up on set, did not get along with anyone. (laughs) And I think it's very telling when you watch these two episodes. There are so many shots which are just Otto Preminger and the henchmen, and Batman and Robin are rarely in the same shot as him. None of the other cast really appear in any scenes with Mr. Freeze, except for the henchmen, which are just stuntmen that are generally hired. Guns for hire. Yeah. Yeah. Otto Preminger did have a reputation in Hollywood. His nickname was Otto the Terrible. Yeah. And uh, as a director, he was renowned for wild temper tantrums and a tendency to eviscerate his actors with ego-wilting criticisms. Yeah. Adam West particularly was not a fan, but apparently Alan Napier, who plays Alfred, he knew about Otto Preminger having worked in one of his films prior, and when he knew Otto Preminger was coming along, he just stayed silent about the whole thing until he turned up on set. Well, yeah, they have no scenes together, do they? I don't no, think so. no, they do not. <laughs> are, th- are there movies of Otto Preminger that you would recommend? Sure. Well... The Man with a Golden Arm with Frank Sinatra, that was one uh, where he plays a heroin addict and sort of goes cold turkey. and Cold um, turkey? Oh, oh. <laughs> nice try. Yeah, cold, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he was directing these movies at the same kind of same time period through the 60s. Well, he, 40s, 50s was, well, certainly 50s because he was renowned for brushing up against the censors and like agitating the censors really and wanting to work with writers who'd been blacklisted. So, Which, I mean, good on him for that. Of course, yeah, no, yeah. and uh, The Moon is Blue and also The Man with the Golden Arm, like I mentioned, they're sort of credited with hastening the end of the, the code era in Hollywood because he was mm-hmm. quite the agitator. An ice-cold badass. Indeed. <laughs> and a bit of <laughs> to work with, quite by all accounts. Yeah. Uh, so one instance, he made a film called Exodus, the biblical film, and he had children on set who were playing Israeli children and he needed them to cry on cue, but they wouldn't, and he was yeah trying to get them to cry. But uh, then he noticed their parents were still on set, their mums, so he went and had a chat to someone and had the mothers moved away and oh, he no. told the kids that your mums are gone, they're never coming back. <laughs> <laughs> and they started crying, so... You know, it worked, but probably not the nicest thing he could have done. And you will learn how to love me. To love me as much as most people will learn how to hate Batman. Yeah. (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) Now, there's not a lot I want to focus on these episodes, because quite frankly... You know, I mean, I think we've seen these episodes, but there are a few things that I kind of liked. Uh, one of them being the outdoor setting at Stately Wayne Manor, where you go out into the gardens. Presumably, that's the double doors that backs onto the parlour that they're regularly in. We haven't seen out there before. I um, wondered about that too. Yeah, yeah. it's a nice little garden, nice mm. patio. Yeah. I don't nice know about pool. turning the swimming pool green, though. That looks a bit gross. Well, it was it was rather a shallow swimming pool, I have to say. <laughs> it really I don't was. know. You wouldn't really be doing laps in that one. Ankle deep. Yeah. Because mm. uh, of all the green around, supposedly, it was an Irish theme, mm. which had Chief O'Hara very excited. Who would have thought it? A wee bit of the Emerald Isle right outside of Gotham City. It gave a great opportunity for a bit more Irish racism coming from Chief O'Hara with that terrible accent. Yeah, if he was actually there. Uh, <laughs> good point. <laughs> yeah, Aunt Harriet, uh, I like that she's so open to ideas, you know. So <laughs> she just, there's a caterer on the blower, make it green and Irish, and she's like, I love it, let's make it happen. Yeah, because I heard her say she'd planned to have it all, quote, 
Japanese. Did I hear that right? No, no, you heard yeah. that. <laughs> You've outdone yourself as usual. You really like it? I originally planned to have it all Japanese. 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 Now, we did have an appearance by two of the goons of Mr. Freeze. I don't think they were actually given names, but they yeah. were dressed at some stage as Batman and Robin. They that- were, if you were listening to my introduction, Dan, oh, they so were those are these- Chill and Shiver. Those are the aforementioned trees. Okay, I apologise. Now, interesting, uh, the two of them, and I looked at them and I'm like, I get exactly what's taking place here. Uh, these are two of the stuntmen that regularly played Batman and Robin throughout the course of the series. Uh, you've got Victor Paul, who's the stunt coordinator for the show and regularly was Robin's uh, stand-in. And then you've also got someone who was occasionally Adam West's uh, stunt stand-in. And that was a guy by the name of, fantastic name, strap yourself in, Hubie Kearns. Huh. Nice one. This was a big question for me, actually, about the stunts, about whether Adam West and... um, Burt Ward. Burt Ward did their own stunts because, I mean, the fight scenes aren't particularly (laughs) challenging. (laughs) And there are a lot of facial close-ups. I was genuinely interested about how much they did their own stunts or not. All that walking up the wall. Mm, Yeah, I mean, that's pretty dangerous. Death-defying. need amazing quads for that. (laughs) It's interesting that you mentioned this because in this episode you'll notice that Burt Ward doesn't do his trademark fist in his palm action that he does. So you know that thing where it's like, no, great Scott Commissioner, and then he will like punch his fist. Mm-hmm. Okay, doesn't do that in the episode because he'd hurt his arm through, Ooh. I guess, one of the prior stunts on the program. Oh, right. Yeah, I did some reading up. Clearly. Now, at the end of the episode, just speaking of stunts, I was actually surprised to see how energetic a lot of the fight, like the fight sequence was. There was a good moment where they picked up, it was a giant piece of wood and threw it at Batman and he picked up the wood like mid-flight. It was the big ice pick, I think. Yeah. And like, it was a cool little moment because these fight scenes are usually just visual noise more than anything else. Yeah, yeah. But that was kind of cool. And it wasn't tricked up. It was a single shot. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's what caught my attention. And that's what made me think that maybe because the stunt guys were actually taking a much larger part in the episode, I'm wondering if they felt they couldn't necessarily let the stunt work sort of look like it was a half-hearted effort. So they actually pushed things a little bit further than they usually would. So, you know, trying to get Mm -hmm. that happening. Theory. I have to say I really loved these two episodes. Yeah. I I thought that it wouldn't take much work to kind of... Nolanify the storyline. I thought it was a great story. You had the whole of Gotham in jeopardy, um, which isn't always the case in in each episode. Uh, you had Commissioner Gordon um, right in his the heart of his workplace um, under threat. You had sort of action at the Wayne Manor itself. You had Batman and and Robin their their whole sort of reputation in doubt. And then them rather than immediately trying to clear their name, you know, Batman being smart enough to kind of play into that, which is you know not unentirely like the end of The Dark Knight where um, Batman decides to take responsibility for the crimes committed by Harvey Dent in order to create that hope for the Gotham community. Yeah, because he's the bright knight that Gotham needs as mm, opposed to one it deserves. Correct. Mm. So I thought actually sort of without too much tweaking, these two episodes would quite easily kind of make a, a great movie plot. Okay, hypothetical... Let's take Otto Preminger out of it, but slide in Arnold Schwarzenegger instead. How do you feel about that? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. One Mr. Freeze exchange for the greatest Mr. Freeze. Yeah. I'm, I'm just sort of looking up my, um, my Arnie quotes. Uh, <laughs> like, um, you're not sending me to the cooler. 
This is why we have you back, Ben. Yeah. The Iceman Cometh. Mm. Mm-hmm. What, what other standouts there? What killed the dinosaurs? The Ice Age. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> All right, everyone. Chill. Um, did Aaron Sorkin do a rewrite on this one? The dialogue just seems so sharp. Yeah, doesn't it? Um, I think if you are going to remake it, you probably need to tweak the beauty pageant and the kidnap of Miss Iceland, though, a little bit more. And maybe give her something more to do, because it does seem that she and Mr. Freeze have the same scene that they keep cutting back to about four different times. Yeah. I thought that actually that's quite interesting as well, because um, that potential love story there. So he, he captures um, Miss Iceland and he's trying to gradually reduce the temperature, you know, not so much that she would die, but that because he thinks that that will change her emotional state mm. and that she'll fall in love with him. And it wasn't until the animated series of Batman in the 90s yeah. that uh, reworked Mr. Freeze's origin and, you know, created like quite a tragic origin story for him where he becomes Mr. Freeze in a tragic accident where he's trying to save his wife who's dying and he's trying to, you know, find a cure to, to save her. And then through this accident, his wife ends up being killed and then he turns into Mr. Freeze and has to... is basically sets out on, on a path of revenge. But it was almost sort of like a, a little... If you put that backstory into this episode... You could kind of see, um, you know, a, a twisted attempt to recapture that love of his life. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense from a storytelling point of view where you necessarily want to show that he's a character with a certain amount of motivation, but his modus operandi is to be a frozen, cool, you know, cold person. So, you know, cold on the outside, beating hard on the inside. And that's mm. the warmth. That's the, oh, there's your poster quote. the spirit of love right there. Mm. But this this was another one of my questions. If you were to recast Mr. Freeze now, so you know, let's let's say we're making the new Batman uh, movie, sort of Matt Reeves directing, Ben Affleck as the Cape Crusader, and Mr. Freeze is one of our our chief villains. Who do you cast? Okay, so because I saw the post over the weekend, a name that I ordinarily wouldn't bring up, but there was something about him in this that I think might actually work, Bob Odenkirk. Oh. Where I've seen him as like as such a humorous figure in various TV shows and movies over the mm. year, obviously playing a little bit more serious and better Call Saul right now. But I think he really brought his game to the post, and there's something about his presence in that. Is it, he's slightly sort of bumbling in it, but I could mm. easily see him becoming a little bit more rigid and taking that same sort of depth of character. Something like Mister Freeze, I could kind of see it work. I do love a comic actor who's then given serious material to work with. I mean, the 1989 Batman Michael Keaton mm. is a great example of that. And then I thought Michael Keaton did a great job as the villain in the in Spider-Man Homecoming as well. So um, I, I definitely think yes, the you, vulture. you're onto something. Because what I think you need for these films and TV shows is that you need a character of whom is a comedic actor to become a serious performer in this. Because when you have a serious dramatic actor becoming comedic, or at least trying to lighten their tone a little bit to take on the more fanciful nature 
of a comic book story, I think they tend to lose something. It becomes a bit too hammy. Whereas mm. I think you need that comedian to bring the darkness to what they're already doing. Mm. Mm. I'll tell you to where, where my head went. Mm. So I was thinking um, if you were to stick with the Euro villain, which is mm. sort of a bit of the role that that Mr Freeze plays, mm. um, Mads Mikkelsen, like maybe a bit um. of an obvious choice, but I, I think he he could certainly bring that um, that sort of tragic backstory and to the cold-hearted villainy. Yeah, I'll go with Mads on that. So in the episode, but you really sort of all Batman episodes, they're very reliant on the Bat computer. In this case, they, they pull out the Bat analyzer and put in all the crime data and it pops out the potentially nonsensical more green ice as the clue of further activity. But this obviously was made at a time when um, home computers were still quite a long way off, but it was a time where computers were becoming more commonplace in the workplace and there was a storyline in Mad Men about kind of the 1960s and a computer coming in and, and that cultural shift. But So here's my question is, do you think that the writers of the show are sceptical or actually quite excited by the idea of computers and how they're going to change I think they're generally very pro-computers. So quite regularly we see Batman and Robin leaning to the computer to solve their complex issues. But, I mean, it's also Batman is supposed to be shown as a very keen mind, but at the same time he's not afraid to really, you know, allow the computer to take care of a lot of the crime-fighting work. So I think they generally are sort of very receptive to the idea of computers being a part of the Gotham City crime-fighting process. I think that they're always trying to make the point that computers are only going to get you so far and then it's sort of... Batman's cold, hard detective work. Well, I mean, oh, yeah. No, they're just more an aide and then just to help him join the dots. But no. he will do it himself eventually. They're not going to know any better, though. I mean, this is pre-Siri. And, I mean, Siri has all the answers we're looking for in life now. <laughs> this segment yeah. brought to you by... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Now let's see what it computes for the future. Do we want to talk about the most misogynistic moment in Batman this week, which is his <laughs> I, I, so many to choose from. I know which one. Let's narrow it down. Is it the beauty queens? Might you be referring to the attractive young lady posing as a journalist in the uh, commissioner's uh, office? Please, please, gentlemen of the press. And this attractive young lady? Nellie Majors, Gotham City Herald, as if you didn't know. That moment did sort of stick out a little bit in the episode, I must say. A little bit, but uh, I think Nellie Majors got the last laugh in that one because she proved to be the only journalist actually doing a job there in uh, Gotham City. She held Batman and Robin to account there. I think there was a bit of a bit of tension in the. Yeah, yeah. She was. I thought she was a really vibrant character, really interesting. Of course, uh, yeah, like you say, Batman just went straight to her appearance, but uh, it it made me think about, you know, how cool would it be a a whole episode just told from the perspective of the press? Because you get a sense there that they're not always on Batman's side. And uh, and so that sort of scepticism about who he is, I thought that was really interesting. Mm. Yeah. Allow me to call a moment of hypocrisy here on Batman. He does say that I certainly wasn't suggesting what the local paper should or should not print, saying that he would never dare suggest such a thing. Uh, However, uh, 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 we have seen episodes where he has planted fake stories, fake news into the various Gotham City papers. Very much so. What was he doing? He was proving that he was dead one time, or was it that some money had been stolen? There was a counterfeit money plot. It was counterfeit money. Yeah, if that was the Zelda the Great um, episode I'm thinking of, potentially. Uh, That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah, so... 
we're calling him on that one, Batman. Um, also, in this one, Robin makes a comment that Batman then tries to get struck from the record, showing a misunderstanding of what, what can and can't be off the record, I think, once it's said out there. He doesn't quite understand press freedoms, does our Batman. Usually at this point on the show, we like to talk to our guests about who their Batman is. But Ben, you're a returning Batman Land guest. You've been in here previously for an episode. It was like about episode five or six, I think we had you in here. Yes, and from memory, it was the episode that uh, went to number one on the podcast charts. That's right. I mean, everyone wants to know what the <laughs> SBS channel manager has to say about Batman. We got the Ben bump on that one. Very mm. much so. Here but- it comes again. <laughs> <laughs> now, because obviously I didn't listen to that episode, I wasn't on it. I don't know if they asked you who your Batman is. I suspect they did. But I want to talk to you about villains. We talked about Mr. Freeze at Excess. But is there a villain that really stands out as being like the villain that you're always looking for in a Batman movie or TV show? Oh, this is a really hard question because obviously the sort of villains gallery in Batman is one of the richest in all of comicdom. Mm. And they're also kind of vibrant with intriguing backstories and particular abilities. And they reflect... Batman in interesting ways as well. Like, uh, you know, I would say that Mr. Freeze, I do find him quite compelling, that kind of tragic backstory that he, he does have. But probably the one that I am drawn to most is Two-Face. I do just like that idea that, you know, sort of we're all capable of good and evil and is there any greater determinant in the universe of what should shape our actions besides chance and so that he turns over his decision-making to the flip of a coin. Now your two-face of choice be Tommy Lee Jones, surely. (laughs) For many reasons, I was disappointed with Batman forever. forever. I mean, it's it's not the worst of the Batman movies, but um, the portrayal of two-face, I thought, was very disappointing because I I think what is so good about two-face is he retains that part of his persona that was an upstanding citizen, Harvey Dent, the district attorney. Um, but that was all lost in Tommy Lee Jones's portrayal. There, there was no um, Harvey Dent left. It was just all kind of cackling fiend. Yeah, because that's what's interesting about Two-Face as a villain, in that you've got Batman has a personal stake in it. So Two-Face is the crusading district attorney who's turned bad, and it's under Batman's watch. He wasn't able to save Harvey Dent before he became a villain. But you're watching Batman forever, and that takes place seemingly several years after Batman's failed, and so he no longer has that personal stake in it anymore. So at that point, Two-Face is really just a bit of a nothing villain. What did you think of Aaron Eckhart as... Oh, I thought thought that was great. I mean, I, I think that those ideas around good and evil are, are so kind of deeply uh, entwined in the, the script of The Dark Knight. So um, I thought that worked very well. I think it would have been interesting in the, the Burton films because they were developing, they'd cast... Well, Billy D. Williams played yeah. Harvey Dent in the first film. Yeah, so they were sort of setting up for, for that. So that would have been quite interesting to see where that went. I also like the idea, I think sort of this was um, played with in the animated series with some sort of flashback episodes of that um, Harvey Dent kind of had that darker side to his persona. It wasn't just merely a consequence of having, you know, his face burnt by acid. So it's, again, that kind of idea of what, what makes you uh, do the, the good thing rather than the, the evil thing that we're all capable of that. I like that. Yeah. Which villain do you not care for? Ooh, ah, you're throwing the tough questions at me. Okay, well, let me go. 
usually I really like the Riddler as a character. I don't actually care for him so much in the 60s Batman, where while I love the actors, so Frank Gorshin particularly, who plays the Riddler, and soon we get John Aston taking a shot at it, while I love both of their performances, the episode just leave me a little bit cold. There's just something about it which just doesn't really connect to me, and I cannot work out exactly what it is. But there's something that leaves me a bit cold there. And the Penguin, I've got the similar thing in this show, where if it's a Penguin episode, I can like what they're doing in terms of the construction of the episodes. I really like Burgess Meredith's role in it, but I just don't like those episodes so much. But I'm loving Cesar Romero in the show. I think he's just phenomenal as the Joker, whereas the Joker in other media is not necessarily my favourite character. Hmm. Um, and I think there are definitely some lame ones out there. Like, I think the Lego Batman trotted out a few, like uh, Calendar Man. I won't hear a word against him. Next, you're going to be attacking Kite Man. <laughs> there, there are some that I'm less familiar with. Like, uh, what's his name? Croc Killer? Killer Croc. Killer Croc. <laughs> yeah. I think he's always struck me as just a bit of a, like, ugly you know, kind of um, grunt or something. Yeah, just the sewer dweller. Yeah, I might be um, a bit prejudiced against him. I, that I should sort of look more deeply into that. Maybe we should revisit this conversation in season three when, say, Lola Lasagna is in an episode. Each week we like to wrap up Batman Land with a lesson that was taken away from this week's Batman because there are so many lessons and so little time so we can distill it to one lesson each that we've taken away this week. Fiona Williams, what did you learn from Batman this week? Well, my observation in light of Miss Iceland's plight is if you happen to be a kidnapped beauty queen in your swimsuit and no one gives you a change of clothes, look around your cell and if there happens to be a sheepskin rug on the floor, maybe use that to warm yourself up, toots. <laughs> Colder than I want to be. My fingers are getting numb. That's good. Ben Ewan, what did you learn from Batman this week? Ooh, I learnt don't take party advice from caterers. Because they might know food, but they don't know much else, particularly if they're villains from the old country. I originally planned to have it all Japanese but the caterer called and suggested Irish. I learned maybe the most important lesson of all this week from Batman. I learned this week not to work with Otto Preminger. Perhaps you're not cool enough to be cooperative. It just seems like it'd be a bad idea. So the opportunities have mar- probably thinned out a bit, I'd say. You don't think it's going to work out for me? Considering it's been dead for 30 years. <laughs> Guys, this has been another Batman Land for this week. Big thanks to Ben Ewan for stepping into the Batman Land cave to have a chat without Batman with us. It was a lot of arm twisting. Yeah, I'm uh, sorry I didn't bring in my Batman mug this time <laughs> or, or that I'm not dressed in Batman pyjamas. No, you're in the cities. But, uh, or, or am I? Are you Chief O'Hara? As in, uh, am I actually just a figment of your consciousness? I have wondered. I'm Batman. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, Fiona, thank you yes. very much for stopping by the Batman land with us for another time. Thank you kindly. Ben, where do people find you, sir? If you're finding me on the tweets, it's uh, at Ben underscore SYD. Uh, Fiona, you've got a fantastic name. Thanks. And also on Twitter. Uh, yes, you can find me at anything but Fifi. And people can find me at the Dan Barrett. And while you're out there using the Twitters, use the hashtag BatmanLand. Helps people find the show. Leave a review, please. We really appreciate people getting out there. Did that sound desperate? A little bit. A little bit. I'm really desperately after people to leave some reviews. You're very attractive when you're desperate, Dan. <sighs> Thanks, Ben. 
but there are a, quite a few reviews on there. I just want to see more of them. I'd like to get, you know, the algorithm doing what it wants. I want to see Batman Land get back onto the charts in a pre-Benuan state. Yeah, yeah, back to back to where it belongs. Yeah, indeed. Anyway, we'll see if this week can get you back up to number one. I, I only like to be at number one. Yeah, fair enough. We'll be back next week. We've got a Joker-centric episode. Same Batman Land time, same Batman Land channel. 